the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. On AM 1420, The Answer. It's eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Wednesday, 28th morning, ninth month, year of our Lord, 2022. Our friends in Florida are in grave danger, and we are watching it very, very closely. Um, I've got uh, a lot of friends in that state, a lot of friends in that state. It's a bizarre little reason why. I went to a very small school 30-plus years ago um, in uh, Tiffin called Heidelberg College then, now Heidelberg University, um, a Division three football program. I played football for them, and because I did, I met uh, some of my best friends in the world, lifetime best friends, uh, teammates who were from Florida. And so many of them, they, it was weird how heavily they recruited. A little town in Tiff, uh, in Ohio called Tiffin and a little small university recruited Florida very, very heavily for football players and talent to come to school back then. Maybe they still do. I don't know. But I made some of my best friends in my life there, and they're all in Florida. And uh, so I'm watching this very, very closely. I've been in touch with them, finding out how they're doing, whether or not they're in the path of Hurricane and whether or not they're... Um, 
having to evacuate, uh, what steps they are taking, and so on. So uh, I, it's very personal to me. Maybe it is to you. Maybe you've got friends. Maybe you've got a home down there. Maybe you've got a summer home or a winter home, as it would be. I guess you go to the Florida in the winter. Um, but if you've got connections there, obviously, you're keeping an eye on it, as am I. And um, we're concerned about the people. We're concerned about the people of Florida and their safety. Who do I mean when I say we? I mean reasonable, common-sensible, caring, compassionate people, generally regarded as conservative people. I say generally because it doesn't speak to everyone, and it's not as if there are anybody, is anybody, is nobody on the left side of the aisle, if you will, that is compassionate and caring. Because I'm sure there are. In fact, I know there are. But I do know that the loudest voices on that side of the political aisle don't care about the people of Florida, not one iota. They're almost cheering for the hurricane to be a devastation. They're almost cheering for the hurricane to blow Ron DeSantis away in its storm surges and in its 150-mile-per-hour sustained winds. They're cheering for Floridians to be harmed, maybe for a lot of them to die, and then they can lay it all at the feet of Ron DeSantis, the governor they hate the most. Maybe, outside of Donald Trump, the American that they hate the most. Because he doesn't put up with their crap. He doesn't put up with their wokeness. He argues on behalf of family and faith. And he does so effectively. He champions the America First platform. And he will not cave in to the vile, disgusting left wing. And they hate him for it. He's popular for it. So what are they doing? Everything they can to use this hurricane to to uh, to harm Ron DeSantis. A whole bunch of deaths, a whole bunch of damage. They can then point to a weak response or inadequate preparation by the Florida governor, just like he mangled the response to COVID in their eyes because he didn't lock people down. He didn't... Uh, uh, you know, uh, mandate shots and didn't mandate masks everywhere you looked. Ron DeSantis took the exact opposite approach of left-wing Democrats almost from the very beginning. Florida, despite its heavy, high population of senior citizens who are the most vulnerable to viruses, despite that, still did far better than the counterparts of New York and Illinois and California and so many other big blue states. They can't stand it. So they need him to take a loss. They need him to take several losses. And loss of life would be pretty good to harm uh, the governor of the state of Florida. So they have weaponized Hurricane Ian before Ian even makes its landfall. Before it even strikes and does its worst damage. They've already weaponized it. As Rahm Emanuel once said, You never let a crisis go to waste. They are loving this potential crisis. The Daily Wire reporting on this. Quote, as Hurricane Ian barreled toward Florida, Democrats and members of the media appeared almost giddy at the prospect of Governor Ron DeSantis failing a high-profile test. 
Florida emergency management teams were busy Tuesday warning residents to batten down the hatches and, if necessary, evacuate coastal areas ahead of the storm's arrival. And while they were doing that, Politico was trying to frame the hurricane as a test that would ultimately determine whether or not DeSantis deserves the level of notoriety he has already achieved. The Politico, or uh, yeah, in a Politico art, uh, article, they write that Governor Ron DeSantis spent his first term becoming one of the most influential Republicans in the country, but he still hasn't faced one of his toughest challenges as a Florida, that a Florida leader can encounter, a hurricane. They're almost cheering. They're almost saying, let's go, Ian, let's go. Take out Ron DeSantis. Be devastating. First, we can blame Ron DeSantis for a lack of adequate preparation for a hurricane in a hurricane uh, path state. And then we can blame climate change for all of it. You know, they didn't have hurricanes before mankind came out and started uh, barbecuing on, on gas grills. They didn't have hurricanes before, you know, manufacturing plants started uh, burning coal and putting emissions into the air. They didn't have hurricanes. The earth didn't have hurricanes. None. Zero. Before mankind came along and built the SUV, those big gas guzzlers, those big carbon emitters. They didn't have hurricanes on this planet before mankind came along and ruined it all. That's what they want you to believe. Meanwhile, Governor Ron DeSantis is just busy doing his job. He is doing what he is supposed to do. He is talking to, he is coaching, he is informing, and he is steady and calm. His leadership, a very steady hand as he talks to uh, uh, Florida residents about what to do. At 7 a.m., Hurricane Ian is located roughly 80 miles south-southwest of Charlotte County, and it's moving north-northeast at 10 miles per hour. It is now a Category 4 hurricane with maximum sustained winds of up to 155 miles per hour. That is knocking on the door of a Category 5 storm. Uh, We expect landfall in southwest Florida later today as a major hurricane uh, and will slowly move across the central Florida peninsula before exiting the northeast Florida coast uh, probably sometime on Thursday. Uh, Much of southern Florida is already experiencing impacts from the storm as it moves closer to landfall. There have been several tornado warnings issued during the overnight hours, and we expect to see that continue today. Uh, A storm of this magnitude will produce catastrophic flooding and life-threatening storm surge on the Gulf Coast of Florida, uh, and the highest risk areas are ranging from Collier County uh, up to Sarasota County. The current track uh, has the storm making landfall in Charlotte County. If you are in any of those counties, uh, it's no longer possible to safely evacuate. Uh, It's time to hunker down and prepare for this storm. Uh, This is a powerful storm that should be treated like you would treat if a tornado was approaching uh, your home. If you're out on the roads, get to a safe place as soon as possible. All right, so just steady, calm, leadership from Ron DeSantis. They spent the last several days encouraging evacuations in those most important areas, those most endangered counties. And he said, now, if you haven't already gone, it's too late to, late to try to go. Now you've got to batten down the hatches and hunker down and get ready to ride this out, staying indoors, et cetera, et cetera. So this is all very common. What's not common? What's not common in the reaction and the response and the preparation for this hurricane right now? What's not common is a president of the United States abandoning his people 
Abandoning the residents of one state because politically it would be very, very bad for him to communicate, coordinate, and plan with Governor Ron DeSantis, the hated enemy. The maybe, like I said, the second most hated man in America by Democrats. After Donald Trump, it's Ron DeSantis. Yesterday, Joe Biden refused to talk to Governor Ron DeSantis. He refused to call directly and pledge all of the resources of the federal government, including and especially, of course, FEMA. He refused to call Ron DeSantis. Biden revealed yesterday afternoon that he spoke with the mayors of Tampa, St. Petersburg, and Clearwater, Florida, in preparation for the storm. I told each one of them, whatever they need, contact me directly. But no mention of Ron DeSantis. Why would he not contact the governor of the state? Remember, President Unity said he wanted to bring he wanted to be the president for all Americans. He said this during his campaign. I'm not just going to be the president of Democrats, I'm going to be the president of Republicans. And we're going to bring everybody together. Meanwhile, a Republican governor who despises virtually everything Joe Biden stands for politically is trying to mobilize efforts to protect and save his citizens from a dramatic and serious Category 4 at the moment, maybe eventually Category 5, natural disaster. And Joe Biden is playing politics. So the media questioned very, very loudly, particularly uh, conservative reporters, questioned Corrine Jean-Pierre and others about why the president isn't talking to, collaborating with, coordinating with, and mobilizing the response to this hurricane with Governor Ron DeSantis. Only hours, many hours after those questions went directly to the president's offices, did he finally make a phone call to DeSantis. FEMA Administrator Dean or Deanne uh, Criswell said that Biden tasked her with communicating with DeSantis ahead of the storm. The president directed me to contact the governor early on, she told reporters. But he himself, of course, did not do that. He couldn't be seen coordinating and collaborating with a guy who's not woke. Criswell said, we have a strong team in place that's supporting the governor right now, working side-by-side with him and his staff. We'll see. We will see about that. Considering the fact that Democrats from one end of this country to the other, anybody who's got a microphone, is using this as a way of criticizing and condemning DeSantis before landfall is even made, we'll see exactly how much coordination and cooperation uh, DeSantis gets from from, uh, uh, the Biden administration and from FEMA. After all, we are talking about a president, by the by, who thinks that the most important way to prepare for a hurricane is to get vaccinated. That's right. As Hurricane Ian bears down on Florida, Joe Biden wants everybody to know the best way to prepare for a hurricane is to be vaccinated. Those aren't my words. Those are his words. If you're in a state where hurricanes often strike, like Florida or the Gulf Coast or into Texas, a vital part of preparing for hurricane season is to get vaccinated now. Everything is more complicated if you're not vaccinated in a hurricane or a natural disaster. The leader of the free world, the president of the United States, thinks that you can become vaccinated against hurricanes. 
You know, they're safe and effective, those uh, those vaccines. They're safe and effective against hurricanes. You're guaranteed not to blow away once you take the vaccine. Take the vaccine, 155 mile an hour sustained winds. Ah, kid, child's play. Nothing to worry about. Get your vaccine if you're in a hurricane zone. Get your vaccine. That's the best way to prepare for hurricane season. Get your vaccine. I wonder, is Pfizer, has Pfizer marketed it that way yet? Have they taken the same poisons that are in the um, uh, in the uh, uh, COVID vaccines and and repurposed them as uh, Ian vaccines? Get your Ian vaccine. They are guaranteed to be safe, wink, and effective. Double wink. If you're in a state where hurricanes often strike, like Florida or the Gulf Coast or into Texas, a vital part of preparing for hurricane season is to get vaccinated now. Everything is more complicated if you're not vaccinated in a hurricane or a natural disaster. I got to tell you, if I was a Florida resident, I'd feel really comforted knowing that that man is in charge of the federal part of the response to the hurricane. I'd feel really great knowing that this is the guy who's got uh, the answers. This is the guy who's got his finger on the pulse of this terrible, terrible natural disaster. Get vaccinated against hurricanes. It is unbelievable. All right, we have a lot to cover on this, and we have a lot of uh, other very important things to do this morning. I've got two great guests coming up, including candidate for the U.S. House in District 9, J.R. Majewski, who's responding to some criticisms and some controversies. we got Jack Windsor coming up, and before we do any of it, as it is now 923, let us go no further without pledging our allegiance. Patriots, please stand. Face your flag if you have one. If you don't, just imagine one, but put your hand on your heart. Drivers, you don't have to stand. That's a little hard to do when you're in a car. You may, though, put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in getting vaccinated in order to stop a hurricane, well, chances are you don't understand very much about what that flag means anyway. You don't have to stand if you don't want to. You may take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 924, got a lot of mo for you coming up. A lot of mo right here. I am 1420 The Answer. So Biden wants you to get vaccinated against hurricanes. Meanwhile, Don Lemon on CNN wants you to believe that this hurricane is the is the fault of Republicans. It's the fault of conservatives who have not done enough to stop climate change. Hurricanes are worse now than they used to be because of Republicans and conservatives. He tried to uh, convince the director of the NOAA, National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration director. He tried to convince him of this, or at least get him to go along with saying this, to try to tie Hurricane Ian to climate change and thus into the climate change deniers and those who want to continue to use fossil fuels and use gasoline engines. We are, of course, to blame for this uh, uh, for this terrible hurricane, because hurricanes never happened before uh, we started uh, we started emitting carbon into. Look the air. here, you can actually see pretty interesting for your viewers. You can actually see a second eye wall forming around the inner eye wall, and that's basically the second eye wall has overtaken the original eye wall, and that should arrest development. Uh, so, listen, I just I'm just trying to get that you said you want to talk about climate change, but what what effect does climate change have on this? 
phenomenon that, that is happening now? Because it seems these storms are intensifying. That's the question. Here. I don't think you can link climate change to any one event. Okay. On the whole, on the cumulative, uh, climate change uh, may be making storms worse, uh, but um, to link it to any one event, um, I, I would caution against that. Okay. Well, they, uh, listen, I grew up there, and these storms are intensifying. Something is causing them to in intensify. <laughs> the director of the NOAA says, no, climate change cannot be linked to any one event. Don Lemon says, hey! Mr. Expert, I grew up there, and I can tell you, they're more intense now. They're more intense now because I grew up there, you see, and that makes me an expert on the strength and the intensity of, of uh, hurricanes, particularly vis-a-vis -vis the impact of carbon in the atmosphere and climate. So don't you tell me that it can't be linked to any one event. You know what's hilarious about that, too? Whenever conservatives, in a tongue-in-cheek way, talk about uh in the winter time you know if we have uh or excuse me uh, if we have a really long lasting winter and and we get snow in april and may and things like that and we jokingly talk about well there's your climate change i got a foot of climate change or a foot of global warming in my driveway and the left always says weather is not the same thing as climate you can't talk about one the fact that it's way colder now than it's supposed to be it doesn't mean our planet isn't warming you don't understand the difference between climate and weather and they do that all the time and i'm like yes we do we're, we're, we're just we're, we're trolling you because it's ridiculous to say that the planet is warming and we got snow on, our, on the ground in May. Those same people, when there's a hurricane, you know, this is a lot stronger than it had to be. This, this, this big storm wouldn't have been as strong if we'd have done something about climate change 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But the problem is, 30, 40 years ago, you know what they were saying? They were saying that the planet was going to freeze. <laughs> well, how are you going to do something about global warming when you're predicting a global ice age? They are just so laughably incompetent. Nothing more so than when Don Lemon says, I grew up there. I know more than you do. All right, quick time out. It's 930. Always right radio on AM 1420. The answer. No friends of mine. I say we can go where we want to. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 937. Good morning. Once again, thanks for being with us on AM 1420, the answer. Before I get back into the news of the morning and welcome you, by the way, we have a guest coming up at 1010. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Um, but we have time for you between now and the top of the hour at 216 by the way, speaking of people listening and responding, I just got a text message from Rob Walgate, our good friend who is a frequent fill-in host on this program and also um, uh, the uh, uh, with the Ohio Roundtable and the American Policy Roundtable. Rob just texted me during the break and said, what's interesting is that the left and the mainstream media didn't blame Louisiana's governor at the time of Hurricane Katrina. They blamed President Bush. But now it's convenient to blame the governor based on party affiliation. And, of course, it's true. If I ask you right now who was the governor of Louisiana during Hurricane Katrina, quick, real quick, what's your answer? Do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know? You don't know. Because nobody called her out on the carpet for the response to Hurricane Katrina. It was Kathleen Blanco, the late Kathleen Blanco, by the way. But it was all about George Bush. The federal response, FEMA failed 
in trying to shore up those levees to try to make sure that there was an adequate response to get people out. Remember, Kanye West came out there and said George Bush doesn't care about black people, made sure to racialize the incident as well. But it was all about the federal response. Nobody held the government of Louisiana responsible for Katrina. But now here we sit today, (laughs) here we sit today, Hurricane Ian hadn't even hit, and they're already blaming the governor Ron DeSantis, for whatever happens. And you know if it's a wonderfully smooth response, preparation and response. I mean, he talked about how they got, I think it was 22,000 line workers ready to go to immediately start restoring power when power is knocked out, which, of course, is inevitable when you have a hurricane like this. But it doesn't matter how well prepared he is. He can have everything go absolutely perfectly. They will find something to uh, uh, that is lacking, that is wanting, in either the preparation or the response. And it will not go to Joe Biden the way it went to George Bush. It will go to Ron DeSantis because there is a goal here. And the goal is to destroy conservative Republican elected officials, particularly one who maybe, just maybe, two years from now in 2024, could be the man that they face for President of the United States. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying it could happen. So they're going to do everything they can. Protect Biden. Hope for some casualties. And I'm not, I said what I said. And, and I don't care if you're offended by the notion. I believe that there are some on the left. Notice I'm not saying all on the left. Some people on the left are looking at Florida and hoping for devastation hoping for loss of life, loss of a massive amount of property. They want it to be a disaster, and then they want to be able to blame Ron DeSantis for not being prepared for a hurricane in a hurricane zone like Florida. Meanwhile, it's Joe Biden who is slow-walking any collaboration and coordination with DeSantis and the state of Florida and federal officials. It's an astounding thing. And thank you to Rob for text messaging that to me, because you're spot on. They could not blame George, George Bush fast enough, nor harshly enough, for Hurricane Katrina, never mentioned the governor of Louisiana, and now before Ian even makes landfall, it's DeSantis's fault. You know, whatever happens is about to happen, it's DeSantis's fault. And if something good happens, well, they'll just stop talking about it. All right, now, uh, having said that, uh, I've got some very, very important news for you involving the Battleground Talkers Tour, which is coming, as I've been telling you about for the last week or two, to the IX Center on October 22nd. I've told you about the officer, Brandon Tatum, being there. I've told you about the Professor Hugh Hewitt being there. I've told you about the brilliant author and host, Eric Metaxas. I've told you about the brilliant Commissioner of the United States on Civil Rights, Peter Kersenow, and yours truly. We will all be on that stage, and none of that has changed. We will be. Here's what has changed. We have a sponsor for this event who is 100% behind it. And because of that... Your ticket to the Battleground Talkers Tour on October 22nd in the IX Center is now fully paid for. You heard me right. Your ticket is covered. We got you. All you have to do is go to whkradio.com and register to claim your ticket, but your ticket cost is now fully covered. The only thing you've got to pay for is to park your car. This is our gift to you, our valuable listeners, and most importantly, our voters. It is... I, I, I... I don't have to tell you this, although I tell it to you on a regular basis, so I might as well hit it again here. When we say 
that that a, that a certain election is the most important election in our lifetime. And we've said that about really the last several uh, important either presidential or midterm elections. Um, we mean it. I mean, I mean, it's it's kind of bizarre because some people would say, ah, oh, it's like, you know, it's like the uh, the boy who cried wolf, right? You know, wolf, wolf, here they come. Here come the townspeople to save them. Aha, I was just kidding. I'm not kidding whenever I say, and I said this about the 2020 election, that it was the most important election of our lifetime. And I said it in 2018 during those midterms, that it was the most important election of our lifetime. And I said it in 2016 in the Trump-Clinton election year. I said it's the most important election in our lifetimes. I don't know if I said that when John McCain was running against Obama. I might have. But I know that for at least the last few I have said it, and some would say, well, you're the boy who cried wolf. I thought you said that was the most important. It's still my lifetime. It has been true each time, because each time the stakes have been raised, particularly since the last most important election of our lifetime in 2020 didn't go our way. By hook or by crook, by fraud or by vote count, depending on your point of view, it didn't go our way, and we have been left for the last two years with Biden, having full control of the executive branch, and the Democrats, his party, having full control of the legislature. And where has that gotten us, friends? Since the last most important election of our lifetime, what has happened? The Dow is under 29,000. My IRA is dying. Your 401K is dying. Your kids' 529 plans are being slaughtered. You're losing money. Maybe your life savings or your kids' college savings or whatever. You're losing it hand over fist. We all are. And that's just one element. Gas hit $5 a gallon. It's still, and now it's climbing again after it went down for a while. Now it's climbing 8 to 10 cents over where it was last week. National average is still around three seventy something, about a dollar thirty five more a gallon than it was when Brandon took over. Groceries, thirteen and a half percent average inflation of groceries. Individual groceries, individual items uh, are, are much much higher, but overall thirteen percent. Everything that you buy, your clothing, your auto parts. It's through the roof. We have an invasion of our southern border. More drugs, more fentanyl, particularly. More gang members, more human trafficking coming across our southern border. More terrorists coming across our southern border than we've ever had. Ever. Not recently. Ever. That is what makes this the most important election of our lifetime. Because we didn't do well in the last one, or at least well enough, to stop them from stealing it. And so now here we are. We're faced with two more years of this? Two more years of inflation, of energy, energy crises? Two more years of Bidenomics? Two more years of out-of-control, 30 to 40% rising violent crime rates in America's biggest cities, including Cleveland? We can't do this for two more years, can we? We can't. How do we survive that? So that's why this is the most important election in our lifetimes. I wasn't lying two years ago. It's just that the need has increased even more so this time around. So this is our gift to our listeners because it's a two-way street, okay? We're giving you the tickets fully paid for. 
We're giving you the tickets to the Battleground Talker store. Your half of this two-way deal is you've got to show up, and you've got to bring family, and you've got to bring friends, and you've got to rally together like we've never rallied before, and then carry the momentum into November 8th. That's your job. So the Battleground Talkers Tour, October 22nd, your ticket is paid for. All you have to do, and we've got a sponsor, and we want to do this for you. So we want you to bring your friends and family. Bring young voters who may be experiencing, you know, the magnitude of an election like this for the very first time. We need them there to listen, to learn, to understand all of the issues, because we will cover all of them. The importance of voting the right way in these midterm elections because of the economy, because of inflation, because of the border, because of their civil rights, because of crime, because of the weaponization of the United States government against its people by way of the IRS and the FBI, because of the public school system and the national teachers' unions completely bastardizing education and twisting your children's minds into alternative lifestyles to suit their own political ends. All of these things are on the ballot. All of them. And in particular, young people need to come to this. Bring your young voters, maybe your first-time voters, anybody. And you need to know this. We're going to fill this place up, and the tickets will be distributed on a first-come, first-served basis. You understand that? And because the tickets are paid for, because they're covered, this is a sponsored event and the ticket price is covered, they're going to go even faster. So people are probably hopping online right now at whkradio.com and registering to claim their ticket for the Battleground Talker Store. Now, to everybody who's already purchased a ticket, an email has been sent to you to arrange a full refund to your for your purchased ticket price. Since your ticket is now covered, your purchase is no longer necessary, so the refund is coming your way, but we, you still have to get registered. We're not going to collect twice for the same ticket. Now that it's already been paid for once, you don't pay for it again, but you do have to register. So go to whkradio.com, that's whkradio.com, and register now for the Battleground Talkers Tour. Get your free ticket and uh, uh, make sure that you bring family and bring friends and register as many people as you want because, again, it is it is just crucial. It is, I, I can't, I can't overstate the importance of rallying together and making sure that we come out in droves, that we come out and just hammer the voting booth on November 8th and make sure that we try to stop this out of control, uh, locomotive that is just headed for a crash, uh, that is the Bidenomics or the Biden economy, the Biden America. It just has to be stopped. So the tickets are paid for. You don't have to worry about a thing. Just register now at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Get your tickets. They are uh, first-come, first-serve basis. So once they're gone, they're gone. Don't wait around. Go ahead and register now, whkradio.com. Always right radio. Repeat the line. For the last time, anything you put on that prompter, Burgundy will read. On The Answer. True and international depression. Yeah? Yeah? Pretty, pretty accurate, I suppose. Uh, I would love to play a full Biden gaff compilation here, but I can't. I've got too many other important things to do. First of all, if you just turned the radio on, you missed my big announcement. Your Battleground Talkers Tour tickets on October 22nd are now fully paid for. We've got a sponsor for this event, and we are hooking you up because we want absolutely everybody to be able to be there uh, to carry that momentum and that energy into November 8th. So get your tickets now. You've got to register for them, but they're paid for. 
Claim them now at whkradio.com. Now, having said that, I do want to do this because coming up at 1010, I've got a guest, an important guest. And we're going to talk about something very important here. J.R. Majewski is the Trump-endorsed Republican candidate for uh, the U.S. House and District 9. Now, Marcy Kaptur has been in Congress for, I don't know, I think since Congress began. <laughs> I mean, seriously, she is one of these career politicians. She is a lifer. She has been there for, I want to say, over 40 years. Um, there has not been, at least in recent, the last couple of decades, a serious challenge to her for her seat. Um, J.R. Majewski is a serious challenger for her seat. There's, there's, there's no two ways about it. J.R. Majewski is a threat, and that is probably the explanation for why there has been a hatchet job that was done, a hit job that was done on J.R. Majewski about his military service. J.R. Majewski is a military vet. Um, he served in Qatar, and he served in Afghanistan, and the Associated Press, in my estimation, and in the estimation of many, many who have researched this, in collaboration with Marcy Kaptur and her allies in the corporate media, they pushed a fake narrative, a fake news story, to destroy J.R. Majewski and say that he was never a combat veteran in Afghanistan. They claimed that he was just loading planes or loading equipment in Qatar for six months, but he was not an Afghanistan combat veteran. They did this, and they attacked him publicly, and his name was, as is the common practice of the mainstream media, particularly a Trump-endorsed candidate like this, they dragged him up and down and said, ah, he's, he's guilty of stolen valor. He's fabricating his, his Afghan uh, war service. So this is what the AP did. As a matter of fact, it got so damaging that uh, a ton of ads, around a million dollars worth of ads and money that was put forth uh, for those ads by the House Republican Campaign Committee, uh, were pulled, essentially saying, well, we can't support somebody who is misrepresenting his service who never deployed to Afghanistan. The problem is this. It's a lie. The AP's report was based on partial information that it received through a very questionable records request. That information was held by the AP for nearly two months and waited to release it, coinciding with a mailing of 2022's military absentee ballots. They waited and held on to it to make it an October surprise, a couple of days early, but it's an October surprise, this fake news story accusing Majewski of stolen valor. So J.R. Majewski, not going to sit there and take this, has gone on... um, I won't call it the war path. That'll be inappropriate. Uh, has gone on uh, um, a mission. He has he has a, he has set forth his own mission parameters to not sit here and take this slander sitting down. He's calling press conferences. He's doing interviews, and um, he was on Steve Bannon's war room as well. And he's not going solo. Accompanying him on these interviews and in the press conference was a colleague of his, a brother in arms, a master sergeant who served with him, who was on his expeditions from Qatar to uh, uh, to Afghanistan, who can verify everything that J.R. Majewski has said. This is part of the press conference, and the individual is, is, uh, is uh, not being named. Master Sergeant Jeff does not want his privacy breached here, but he did indeed appear uh, uh, via... Um, uh, telephone uh, as a part of this communication and this press conference. I want you to listen to a little bit of what he said. What in your estimation is being reported inaccurate? Well, the whole, um, the whole records update, the only reason why my records are, they're still not complete. I'm still missing 
some campaign medals and stuff like that. But it's all it's all on the individual. I mean, he was a kid when he got out. He didn't know any better that something that if he didn't update his records, like I was an NCO, so I took care of my troops and I took care of myself, and it still didn't get processed. That's just not how it works. And then if you get out, good luck. I mean, I can't even get my college transcripts from the C from the CCAF because I'm out. I have to write write letters and fill out forms, and then it probably just gets thrown in the trash. So I mean, I had to pay for school out of pocket because I couldn't verify that I had 60 college credits. It's just a paperwork issue. It's a paperwork issue, said uh, the master sergeant who appeared on behalf of J.R. Majewski. It is a paperwork issue, and it's an almost impossible uh, mission to try to get all of your military records and your service records, not to mention uh, which he also pointed out they didn't document every single time they went from Qatar into Afghanistan. They didn't document every time they went into a combat zone. But uh, the records for um, for J.R. Majewski, his DD-214, are incomplete at best. And rather than doing independent, worthy journalism, curious journalism, and coming to J.R. Majewski for an answer to all of these things, they ran a hit piece on him in the Associated Press, all for the benefit of Marcy Kaptur. Well, Rep, uh, Representative Candidate J.R. Majewski is uh, going to be joining me here right after the top of the hour news, about 10 minutes from now. And we're going to ask him every tough question that there is to clarify that he is indeed a combat veteran who worked in Afghanistan, who was in harm's way, and that everything that he has said about his service uh, on the campaign trail is accurate so that everyone knows exactly what's going on here. We'll play you a little bit of his conversation with Steve Bannon on Bannon's War Room, a little bit more from the press conference, but most importantly, he'll be live with me. Coming up right after this on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 28th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Hey, Steve, the, the district knows that this is a witch hunt. They know what Marcy Captor's behavior is. Um, they know that the AP it was, at some point, they were going to launch their October surprise. I think what bothers people here is that Marcy Captor, at the end of the day, is still my congresswoman, and instead of stifling this and, and coming to my aid, knowing that my DD-214 needed to be updated. She perpetuated it. She spent thousands of dollars in promoting this through TV and Google. And the people here in the district know that. And so this was just an opportunity to get the message out nationally. Um, I have absolutely no fear about what's going on here in the 9th District because I've been working really, really hard. And I've been sh shaking every hand, hugging everyone, and, you know, giving them 
really, really good uh, local home-cooked barbecue. This is the way that you win votes. <laughs> I love that. J.R. Majewski, uh, a little levity to a very serious situation there as he appeared on Steve Bannon's War Room pandemic discussing the attacks on him and his military record, accusations that he is guilty of stolen valor for embellishing his service in Afghanistan as a part of Operation Enduring Freedom. We are joined now by the GOP Trump-endorsed candidate for Congress in District 9 facing lifer uh, Marcy Captor J.R. Majewski on AM 1420 The Answer. J.R., good to have you on the program. How are you this morning? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me, buddy. Um, I just, you know, I, I hate to do that, do it this way, but um, where the hell's my barbecue? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you would have came out to Defiance, Ohio last night, we had a heck of a time. We shot probably 1,500 clays, maybe more, and uh, we had some local barbecue and a bunch of folks there, and, and uh, I offered to join them to join me on uh, the war room. So we had a really, really good time last night. It was, yeah, it really looked great, uh, and it looked like they were having a great time, and it must feel good to have the kind of support that you do from the people in the community and, most importantly, in your district in what is um, what is essentially an extraordinary uh, attempt at character assassination. So what I intend to do here, Jr., as I said to you yesterday, um, is, is I'm going to ask every tough question there is. I'm going to put it all out there, and I want everybody to hear uh, the the truth and the specifics. Much of what you gave to Steve Bannon, I want you to talk about here. Much of what you gave to uh, Greg Kelly on Newsmax, I want to talk about here, so that there can be no doubt and no dispute. Because I think you would agree, as a veteran, uh, Jr. One of the one of the worst things that I think anybody can do when it comes to scam or fraud is to engage in stolen valor. To you know, you see these people from time to time, you know, uh, panhandling or going to uh, highly populated locations wearing a uniform that is not theirs and proclaiming to be a suffering, struggling, uh, you know, homeless veteran. Please give some money and. Um, it's just about as low as it gets. So what they're accusing you of here is extraordinarily serious, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And they've they've gotten a lot of veterans that are, you know, just reading the headlines. And they've actually, I believe they've edited the article three or four times now. But um, of that, I have they, no doubt, because because yeah. you're responding, and people are responding on right. your behalf, including one of your colleagues, which we'll talk about here in a moment. I want to give a summary, though, Jr., and get you to respond to just the summary uh, as Yahoo reported it, citing uh, the Associated Press. Here's here's the way they phrased it. The Associated Press reported Wednesday, and this is last Wednesday, one week ago today, that Majewski had misrepresented his military service. According to military records, he was primarily stationed at an Air Force base in Japan, but served a six-month deployment in Qatar, uh, loading planes to support the Afghanistan war effort in 2002. This is in contrast to the language of his campaign, where he refers to himself as a combat veteran, and a biography published by National Republicans referring to him as part of a squadron that was one of the first on the ground in Afghanistan, after 9-11, end quote. So, Jer, let, let's, let's correct what needs to be corrected in that statement, if anything, before I start asking you specifics. Okay, so as the Air Force confirmed, I was, po- I was deployed to Qatar from May to November of 02. I served with the 60th Aerial Port out of Travis Air Force Base, but once I reached the Middle East, I was part of the 64th Air Expeditionary Group, and we were there in direct support of Operation During Freedom, and our job was to fulfill outbound transport and move troops, move cargo and, you know, everything that, that, uh, the forward operating bases needed in the combat zones throughout the Middle East. And that included Afghanistan. And, uh, I've 
just yesterday received a response from the Air Force, and they sent me my pay stubs showing that I received imminent danger pay, which, uh, you know, that qualifies me as a combat veteran. IDP, imminent danger pay, it means that you were literally in imminent danger, and that means you were, in fact, I, I was looking at some of the comments, JR, uh, about people who don't like you, people who are supporters of Marcy Captor, who are just grasping at anything they can to say that you're a liar and you're, a, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're embellishing your record. And they said, ask him if he shot any, I think this was in response to the uh, uh, Bannon thing, ask him if he ever shot anybody if he's a combat veteran. Um, that, that seems to be a common mistake. People think that you have to engage in firefights to be in a combat zone. There are a lot of people in right. combat zones making them combat veterans who don't actually fire, uh, fire weapons, but who are there in various other roles like yours. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, I touched on some of the challenging aspects and, and you know, the experiences that I had, you know, when I served in the Middle East, but I've never claimed to have served a rough combat tour in Afghanistan or that I was engaged in the firefight or I was Rambo and I killed people with my bare hands. I mean, that, that never happened. I mean, I was a young serviceman in a foreign land and had an assignment that, you know, put me in continual motion and it came with periods of difficulty. I mean, any young man who's in their early twenties serving in the middle East without their friends and family in 125 plus degree heat is going to have a tough time, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, I never claimed to have a combat action badge. Uh, which would, you know, designate me as being in a firefight. I've, I've never made that claim. No, uh, and that is different than being a combat veteran. One can be a combat veteran, uh, moving supplies, moving men, moving troops, providing uh, uh, transport to you know into these combat zones. Uh, because guess what? <laughs> if there are troops that you are moving, there are troops that can be fired upon, or can be targeted with a uh, you know, or, or can be in danger of IEDs. All of these different things could happen to you, which is why it is a combat zone. Which is why you received imminent danger pay. Now, Jer, so you came out with that form or that pay stub, mm-hmm. if you will, showing him in a danger pay, which means you were in combat or in a combat mm-hmm. zone. Um, mm-hmm. Why no other records? Um, this is something I know Greg asked you and you have spoken to, and I want to I want you to be as specific as you can because your uh, your colleague uh, and and I know his 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 face was blurred and his voice was distorted because he wants to maintain his privacy, but he came out and spoke. Uh, in support of you and, and saying you essentially did most of the same things that he did. Um, you, you, you worked at the same time at the same place. Um, you were mm-hmm. indeed in these combat zones. But he's got a big, long list of ribbons and uh, uh, commendations and things that, that obviously mark his time in service and where he was and what he did. You don't have those things. He explained why. Right. Now I want you to explain why. Well, primarily because the Global War on Terrorism Expeditionary Medal wasn't created until 2003, and I'd already completed my duty and exited the service, you know, soon after. And I just never filled out the DD Form 249 to have my records updated. And I firmly believe that this was a coordinated attack because they know that it takes a minimum of six weeks to work through the Air Force Personal Records Center and apply for your DD, my DD-214 to be updated. I mean, it, it gets into um, a process where veterans aren't the priority. It's, it's you know, the active duty personnel, the people that are actually exiting the service. So you, know, you get lost in an administrative process. And throughout the years, you know, I've, I've, I've contacted AFPRC. I've contacted the Veterans Administration. And, you know, I've, I've been consistently passed from one, you know, waiting phone call, one dial pad phone call to an operator that, 
ultimately just tells me it's not that's not their department. I have to go call someone else. And uh, you know, I just lost the desire over the years to to, to have that updated. We're, if you just turn the radio on, we are talking with House GOP candidate J.R. Majewski. He's challenging uh, Marcy Kaptur in District 9. She's been there pretty much as long as she's been alive. Uh, she is a career politician. She has done absolutely nothing, and quite frankly, for people like you, J.R., you mentioned in that uh, response to Steve that she ultimately is still your representative. You live in her district, and she has never done anything to help you, even before I would imagine you became a candidate uh, against her. To, to get your DD-214 updates, did you make efforts in that regard? Did you go to her office or contact anybody there to say, hey, can you help me cut through the red tape and get all my updated records? Um, no, because, you know, I <clears throat> I was I was actually thinking about going to her office and, and, and recording it and, and, you know, making a big deal out of it. But at the end of the day, you know, I just, I just don't want to take part in those dirty politics. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the last thing I need is to go there and then have Marcy Kamper, you know, pretend as if, you know, I'm attacking her or... You know, I'm 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 using what 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 they commonly refer to as like guerrilla tactics. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't I don't want to be that guy. At the end of the day, uh, Marcy Kaptur spent thousands of dollars promoting this, and I know she has absolutely no interest in helping me. I mean, she she mm-hmm. hasn't really helped many of the veterans here in the district outside of you know the honor flight. Jared, going back to the to the records and to ribbons and and other things for which you were in, to which you were entitled for your service, um, is it common to to not go because of the red tape? Everything you were just talking about to go through the process and get my DD two fourteen update and get everything I've got coming to me for my time there. Is it common for guys just to say, "Ah, oh, the hell with it," or is it uncommon? Or I mean, do you do you know of any others who just said, "You know what? I don't want to. I don't want to go through the process because what what am I ever going to need them for anyway?" I think it's common. I mean, a lot of the guys that stay in, you know, for 20 years or, or more, you know, they're, they're much more educated in the system and, you know, they, they understand the dilemmas primarily because they have, you know, folks assigned to them that leave the service that may call them for assistance in getting their records updated. And for, you know, young men like me that, that uh, serve four years and get out, we're not, I mean, we're not as forward looking as we probably should be. In hindsight, I, I should have, uh, you know, I should have, pushed back but at the end of the day like my buddy said yesterday i was just a kid and who would have thought that this would be um a, you know a, a point in my life where i would have to defend my military service because i'm running for for office in a free country you know who would have thought that t- something 20 years ago an administrative mistake that i'm you know a lot a lot happened 20 years ago would be something that would use you know would be used to you know, try to assassinate my character. I mean, I never would have thought that would happen. In hindsight, I wish I would have done it, but I didn't. And, you know, I have to live with that. And I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to take the blame and, and, and be accountable. But, you know, I'm not willing to take the blame or be accountable for being accused of stolen valor because that, that is absolutely something that uh, I've, I've never claimed. And, look, I'm friends with Navy, former Navy SEALs, or, you know, once a SEAL, always a SEAL from what right. they tell me. And uh, retired you know, I got a couple of buddies. Yeah, retired SEALs. Um, Dave Rogers is a really good friend of mine. He's come to the district. He's spoken on my behalf. A uh, good friend of mine was in Delta Force. He's a local gun manufacturer here in Port Clinton. And those guys, you know, they, they understand my character. They understand, you know, my wife and I's service to veterans. They understand the fundraisers that we've done. They understand you know, the financial support we've given. And that can't be taken away from me. But I'm not going to gloat about that. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. 
I'm going to keep pushing on issues, and I'm going to keep fighting against Marcy Kapper and this evil party that is trying to uh, stop honest, regular Americans from running for office. That's what right. this is about. This is about me being just, a, in their eyes, a regular old guy that uh, could spoil their fun in Washington, D.C. Well, Captor has done this before to other candidates who have been threats to her. She hasn't had too many threats, to be honest with you, but um, she did the same thing to a Tea Party candidate about 20 years ago. Uh, so this is not unusual. They'll do whatever it takes to try to stop somebody, particularly you've got the, the support of President Trump. Uh, so I want to do two other things. I want to talk about some issues. I want to talk about President Trump and his uh, endorsement of you. But but super quick, um, somebody who has dropped their support of you, at least financially, is the National Republican Congressional Committee. They pulled a million dollar ad buy after reading uh, this uh, this AP you know hack, hatchet job on you and Marcy Captor's attack on you. Um, do you ha- how do you feel about the fact that they pulled their money? That I mean, is that them saying they don't believe you, or is that them saying, well, Marcy Captor just won this race by attacking uh, our guy, and so we shouldn't throw good money after bad? What is your feeling about that poll? Well, I haven't talked to the NRCC um, to, to, to discuss the issue. From what I've been told by the NRCC's leadership is that their ind- independent expenditures group is different from the leadership group, and whether that's true or not, I have no idea. Um, they did. I did get a call from them after the funding was pulled, and I was apologized to, and I was told that you know they felt as if it was premature and they weren't aware that it was happening. But you know, one has to believe that this is politics. You know, one has to believe that you know you can't trust anybody. So you know, I don't know where I stand mentally on it. Um, I, I know that that hurt more than these claims, to be honest. You know, um, feeling like you're, you know, left for dead by the party. But at, but realistically, Washington, D.C. doesn't vote in the ninth District. The people here do. And, you know, they can try to manipulate this race all they want if that's their intentions. And we're just going to keep fighting. I mean, I want a primary let's, by fighting. And let's let's talk about that part, the fact that uh, you're right. D.C. doesn't vote in this. The people in your district do. How has the race, how tight has the race been? Um, is the, and do you think that's the reason why they came out when they did with, as you refer to it as somewhat of an October surprise? Um, how much of a threat are you to Marcy Captor in terms of if you've got polling or what other evidence you've got? Yeah, so I was within the margin of error. I believe I was down by one point during our polling, and we had a, a pretty um, um, reputable um pollster do our our polling Mm -hmm. and it looked as if you know we were we were in a good spot because i had not spent money uh, at that point against marcy where she had already spent three quarters of a million dollars i haven't i hadn't spent any tv time or any radio time so you know we felt very very confident that once we did launch we were going to gain margin and the polling showed that marcy had limited to no room to grow where i had you know um, like 21 points that I could have uh, I could have taken advantage of, so we were very very confident. Um, we believe that Marcy did some polling and that showed her in trouble, and that was you know that and and, and also you know the fact that military ballots were coming out um, you know last week. Yeah, the timing we, we is really that. interesting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> believe that that's, that that was something that they were holding in their pockets based on their polls, and uh, you know I, I firmly believe that. This this hurts a little bit, but again, 
this this election is a referendum on, against the Democratic Party that she supports. She's voted 100 percent alignment with, with Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. I mean, Ohioans cannot be confused by that. I, I just don't see how, you know, this can resonate with them. I mean, no, I, even I, I concur. if she's yeah, she's she's been there so long. She has she's not a fringe member. She is one of the core drivers of this Democrat policy that has this country and the state, quite frankly, in the mm-hmm. state that it's in. So I think that is extraordinarily mm-hmm. important. So to that end, J.R. Majewski, give me a little just a brief summary of your platform. Why did you decide to run after all of these years of Marcy Captor's devastation, in my opinion, of the her district and the people of Ohio and, and, and the votes that she cast? that impact the entire country. What made you stand up and say, somebody's got to do this. I'm going to be that guy. Why? Well, you know, I spent, I, I grew up in, in Toledo, in the old Polish village in the North End. I grew up to a father, with a father that, you know, worked at uh, Toledo Jeep, worked really, really hard my entire childhood. And after graduating high school in the military, earned my master's degree. And I'll be honest, I got lucky. I got lucky and I was able to, start a career at Davis Bessie and that career launched me into a very successful 20 years in the nuclear power industry. And I, I found myself watching television, watching the news, arguing with my television and frustrating the heck out of my wife. And it was always a, a point of why are our politicians behaving this way? Why are they not solving these issues? The answers were quite clear. Common sense legislation would have stopped a lot of these issues that I believe are self-inflicted. And I decided that no one was going to run against Marcy Camp during the ninth because the district was a D16. And I wanted to shake trees. Whether I could win or not, that was something I didn't care about. I wanted to motivate Republicans to realize that you can't be a couch conservative. You can't be what I was. You can't sit there and complain about issues without being willing to be part of the solution. And so I decided to run. And I never imagined that the district would flip to a Republican-leading district. But when it did, other Republicans decided to be brave at that point and run against me. And I defeated a state senator and a state representative in my uh, primary. And they had hundreds of thousands of dollars more than I did. But I still won because I resonate with the people I don't feel as if this is a given. I never did. I know I have to earn every vote, and I'll never take anything for granted. My life has been filled with challenges. My life has been filled with you know, opportunities that were always there that I had to work hard to capitalize on, and I see this as the same. This is my opportunity to return the opportunities that were given to me to the district, and I'm just tired of driving by my old childhood home and seeing what it's turned into, seeing what my neighborhood's turned into, seeing what Toledo's turned into, and knowing that the Democratic Party is responsible for this. I mean, I grew up in a Democratic family, and it wasn't until President Trump that everybody turned Republican. I mean, we didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left us. And America um, first, Republicans and conservatives are the future. Yeah, and uh, and that's what America First is all about. For people who don't know the district, by the way, District 9 kind of basically snakes all the way across northern Ohio. So Jr. is referring to Toledo and his hometown and his home area. But District 9 includes portions of Lorraine, 
portions of Lakewood and portions of Avon Lake, also Sandusky. Uh, so there's people within our listening area. There's a big, and a, there's a lot of people who are going to be casting votes in District Nine who are listening to us right now. That's the reason this is so important for you to listen to Jr. Listen to his platform. Listen to his uh, response to the allegations that he has embellished and exaggerated his uh, military record. He did serve in Afghanistan in combat zones, and by the definition of it, that makes him a combat veteran. He doesn't have to have been engaged in firefights or launching. Uh, you know, uh, rockets at people or bombs, dropping bombs on people to be in a combat zone and thus worthy of saying uh, that he is a, uh, uh, you know, a combat veteran uh, who is running for Congress. So this attack uh, on uh, on J.R. is uh, unfortunate that it is getting as much play as it is. Uh, and it, particularly when the Republican, the uh, House Republican Campaign Committee decides to pull funding because they don't want to be um, associated with the with the smear that they have they have put on Jr. What about the president, former president? You just mentioned Trump. Um, have, yeah. have you talked to him or his team since this whole thing went down? Obviously, you're the Trump endorsed candidate. It helped you win that primary, which is huge. Any any uh, new correspondence with the uh, team? Oh, they're all in. President Trump told me to fight, fight, fight like hell, and. Uh... If anybody knows how it feels to get attacked and lied to, you know, lied about from the yeah. media, it's that guy. And uh, he's hosting a fundraiser for me in October at Mar-a-Lago. So, you know, he's he's all in. Phenomenal. And I uh, think we're going to see him kick it up a little bit. But, you know, President Trump likes winners. He likes fighters. And that's why he endorsed me. And I have no doubt. You know, you know, I can already hear him saying that to you when this whole thing went down, just telling you fight like hell because yeah, that's exactly yep. what you have to do. And you know what? You have a military background. You know what fighting is all about. You know what it means. Uh, JR, real quick, uh, tell everybody how they can support you. What's the website? My website is JR, the number four, excuse me, JR Majewski, the number four, congress.com. And if you'd like to support financially, a shortcut is JRFOR. JRFOROhio.com or JR Majewski, the number four, Congress.com. So you got two different choices there. I'll link them both up to my webpage and make it easier for people. Uh, they can go to alwayswrite.us and see that. But uh, do not let JR uh, down. Do not let Marcy Captor and the AP and the media smear merchants uh, try to uh, tear down this, uh, this, this veteran and this great American who's trying to help the people of District Number 9 here in the state of Ohio. Uh, I'm so glad to hear they're throwing a rally for you and a fundraiser for you at Mar-a-Lago, JR. I appreciate you coming on. And I'm just going to re- uh, reiterate what President Trump told you, man. Keep fighting like hell. Thank you, sir. I appreciate thank, it. I'll thank get you, you an invite to Mar-a-Lago. You can come join us. I would love to do that. Uh, count me in. We'll brother. make it happen. Yep, that'll be All great. right. Thank you, JR. That's J.R. Majewski, uh, candidate for Congress in District 9. His story is a very, very important one. You can react to it coming up if you want at 216-901-0945 after the news. In the age of unreason, always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 1040 now. A little late coming back because we were a little late going into the news there. I wanted to make sure that we got everything we had to get done with uh, J.R. Majewski. Uh, if you missed the interview with J.R., the uh, Trump-endorsed candidate against Marcy Captor in District 9, you can catch that after the show. Uh, a little bit after noon, it'll be posted on the webpage uh, at whkradio.com, and then I will have it isolated uh, apart from the rest of the show. 
at alwayswrite.us after that as well. So you can share that. People need to know. People need to know about dirty tricks. People need to know uh, that they don't know what they think they know when it comes to the way you know a DD-214 reads, uh, the way information and records are updated when it comes to military personnel. These things are very, very important to understand. And the fact that uh, uh, Jared Majewski has uh, colleagues that he has served with uh, verifying that he was there with them in Afghanistan, indeed in combat zones, makes him a combat veteran, uh, it should be put to bed. The whole thing has just been debunked, and uh, the left, of course, will not accept that. And I think you need to share this with everybody that you can who's a voter. As I said, District 9 used to be you know, almost primarily Lucas County and uh, you know, surrounding counties all up in the northwest. But as the redistricting has happened, as you know, it's, it's changed through the years, and it now snakes along the north coast. And it goes through Sandusky. I know we have listeners in Sandusky. It goes through uh, Lorraine, portions of Lorraine. Obviously, we reach into Lorraine County, Avon Lake. So there are voters within, uh, within earshot right now. Um, just on the radio side, and of course, people can listen all around the or all, all around the world by way of uh, you know the web or the uh, the stream on whkradio.com. And I just want to make sure that everybody who could cast a vote does cast a vote in District Nine and gets rid of Marcy Captor and helps us take the majority back, because people like Marcy Captor have got to go anyway. I mean, regardless of this particular you know issue. Uh, Marcy Captor has just done a horrific job for District 9. She has been there forever, but it's a deep blue district. It has been for a very, very long time. Now it's not so much, and there's a real chance here, as Jr. said, he was within a point before this uh, uh, little attack happened. And I don't think it's uh, right that we had just allowed that to go unanswered. So I've got the web, web pages updated right now. So if you go to alwayswrite.us, look on the left side from the show. I always try to put links to guests who are on the show, whether it's Bill O'Reilly's book from yesterday, Peter Kersenow's latest article from yesterday, Jim Jordan's latest uh, statement from Monday. Well, right now, already listed, uh, House candidate J.R. Majewski, you have his websites, J.R. Majewski for Congress.com, J.R. for Ohio, and a link to J.R.'s appearance on Steve Bannon's War Room. So all of those are up there right now. You can listen to those at your leisure. You also have a couple of articles up there from the Ohio Press Network, because Jack Windsor runs the Press Network, and he will be my guest in about a half an hour. Jack Windsor will be joining me at around 1110. If you just turn the radio on, I want to uh, point this out. Um, you missed the announcement. You know the Battleground Talkers Tour that we've been telling you about for uh, uh, at the IX Center on October 22nd? Yeah, major announcement. Your ticket price is now paid for. We have a sponsor for this event, and your ticket price is paid for. It's covered. That's it. You don't have to pay. And if you already did pay, you'll get a refund for your ticket because we're not going to charge twice for the same ticket. It's already paid for, so you're not going to have to pay for it a second time. So here's what you do. First come, first serve to the Battleground Talkers Tour with Hugh Hewitt, Eric Metaxas, Brandon Tatum, Peter Kersenow, and myself. Uh, tickets right now, you have to register for them, and they're first come, first serve. So when they're gone, they're gone. And the fact that they are paid for already means they're going to go fast. Go to whkradio.com whkradio.com register right now uh, and get your tickets to the battleground talker store it's extraordinarily important for us to fill that place with hundreds and hundreds of people and to carry the energy that we that we generate in that building all the way through the election on november 8th so get your tickets now uh they're covered at alwayswrite.us or i'm sorry they're not at always right you know what i'll link to it there too what the hey that'll make it easy 
But they're available at whkradio.com, and I will also link to it at alwaysright.us. Okay, um, we'll hit uh, Cleveland. TJ on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, TJ, go right ahead, sir. Yeah, you know, Bob, when I heard J.R. You know, Majewski there, my blood was boiling. You know, the worst thing you can do is accuse a legitimate veteran of stolen valor. The yeah. only one stolen valor here is Marcy Captor. She stole the, stole the valor of a legitimate veteran. And I know how that can make you feel. I remember on your show a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Viet Cong and some guy from Mike or something from Lorraine called, and he doubted I was in Vietnam. And I'm telling you, Bob, that bothered me for a couple of weeks. And fortunately, I had a DD-214 to back me up. But, uh, and, and, and I can understand JR's trouble with DD-214s and trying to get updates. You know, I got mine updated almost 30-some years later after Vietnam. And I was shocked, you know, at some of the stuff that was added on there that I didn't even know I had. So it's, sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do. But I feel sorry for him. And, and uh, this woman, uh, this is deplorable what she did. And she knows what she was doing. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no question about it. As, as J.R. said, you know, the timing is just too perfect to be coincidental. Uh, military ballots just started going out this week. Military ballots are going out, and suddenly here's a guy who's got the word veteran as part of his campaign slogan, J.R. Majewski does. And so he, they're going to send out uh, military ballots at the same time as, as they're accusing him of stolen valor. It's... <laughs> and, and here's the thing people don't understand, Bob. You know, in combat, you know, for every combat soldier, it takes nine people to support him, whether it's artillery, supply, air. Uh, they're all combat veterans. They all pitch in uh, uh, to do their job, you know, to make the the machine work. Uh, uh, I, I support him 100%. I wish I was in his district. I'm not, but I still feel like getting off my lazy duff and working for his campaign. When I heard this, I am really teed off. And I hope veterans listening to this, get just as mad as I, you know, I've gotten when I heard, you know, uh, what happened to him. I do too, and I think they'll rally. I think they'll rally for him. This is a guy who uh, you know, did it the right way. I mean, you know, he pointed out, as he pointed out, he was a kid when he went in. Uh, he was a kid when he got out. Uh, it was not important to him. He didn't think he'd ever be running for office to the point where you think he would have to show ribbons or show accommodations uh, or whatever. Um, you know, he just, he left and he left, and that was it. And when it came time to try to say, hey, you know what, I want to update my record, well, you heard the story, and you know the story because you've been through it. Um, it can be a nightmare, a bureaucratic red tape nightmare to go through and get all of that information. And he just didn't think it was important until somebody, of course, questioned his his honor. And uh, yeah, that's and, what and, they're doing here, here now. He's got the me, pay stubs that show he had uh, he had imminent danger pay. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you don't get those unless you're in a combat zone, right? Right. And, and one other one, real quick, Bob. You know, I was uh, 19 when I come home from the service. And uh, they had told me I had malaria in Vietnam, so they said, you know, that's a 10% disability. Uh, when I come home, I applied for uh, uh, malaria, and I was, de- de- you know, denied the claim. Here, 35 years later or so, I'm going through a VA program in Brexville, and I remember Dr. Stan, he says, let's look this up, uh, TJ. He looks it up on the computer. He says, oh, my God. He says he's looking from what the VA wrote in 69. Uh, a young, strapping, 19-year-older uh, probably contacted malaria in Cleveland. And uh, he looked at me, he says, you're a medical marvel. He says, you're the first malaria case in Cleveland since the early 1800s. But this is what veterans have to battle, even with our own VA. 
Yeah, and you know that's that that's really sad to know. Uh, and I'm by the way, I'm glad it was uh, malaria, not gonorrhea. That means you were <laughs> you were oh, a good well. boy. <laughs> you were a good boy. <laughs> oh my God, or the cooties? Yeah, yeah that would even have been worse. Yeah. TJ, okay. hey, TJ, thanks day. for uh, thanks for lending some insight to this. Obviously, you know what it's all about and about getting these records. So I appreciate that. I'm sure Jr. does too. Appreciate that. Okay, Thanks, thank TV. you, Bob. You got Bye. it. All right, 1048, <clears throat> Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer will take a quick time out here. Don't forget, get online at uh, whkradio.com, whkradio.com, and register to pick up your tickets. All you got to do is claim them. The tickets are now paid for, and that means you just claim your ticket. First come, first serve at uh, at uh, whkradio.com, whkradio.com for the Battleground Talkers Tour coming up October 22nd at the IX Center. We'll be back. The storm is here. It is imminent. I can tell you it is a Cat 4 hurricane, nearly a Cat 5. I know all of the emergency management directors in southwest Florida very well. Combined, they have over 200 years of experience. They're preparing, and they're expecting a Cat 5. That's the Division of Emergency Management Director in Florida talking about the preparations. Circling back to the topic of the uh, uh, at the top of the show today at 9 o'clock, uh, the left is hoping for devastation. The left, not everyone on the left, but many on the left are speaking out and already trying to condemn Ron DeSantis. The storm hadn't even made landfall yet, and they're trying to condemn Ron DeSantis. They're trying to find a way to make sure that there's enough devastation and enough loss of life to be able to say Ron DeSantis failed in the face of an emergency. He's a guy who can't be counted on. They're trying to stop him before he ever even becomes a candidate for president. Make no mistake about it. Second most hated Republican in the country after Donald Trump is Ron DeSantis, and they are trying to tear him down before the storm even hits. It's simply unprecedented. It really is. But it lets you know the desperation of the left. We'll talk more about that later. Let's go back to the phones, though, right now, and we're going to talk to uh, Ralph calling us from Canton on AM 1420, The Answer. Ralph, thanks for your patience. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they're doing this already, but they got to get a commercial with all the military in that area uh, with impeccable stature and... uh, I'm sure that if you had a wide shot, uh, it would be like a Trump rally. And, uh, you know, yeah. just have these guys uh, back this guy up with people in those neighborhoods that uh, are respected and, uh, you know, just line them up and uh, do it uh, street by street, neighborhood by neighborhood. Uh, you know, have these guys talk this, this guy back up and, uh, you know, get his reputation back. Yeah, I, I concur. And you know what? I'm sure they will because, you know, that's the, the the nature of brothers in arms. They always have each other's back, whether it's in a combat zone or whether it's coming back home and facing, you know, scurrilous attacks on your honor. Uh, they will have each other's backs, and I'm sure they will uh, for J.R. Majewski as well. It's um, it's just indefensible, I think, for a captor to team with the media and do things like this to question a guy's record when they have absolutely no basis on which to do that whatsoever, simply because his DD-214 isn't updated. Um, he's got, he's got uh, comrades in arms that he has uh, worked with uh, you know, that have verified exactly where he was and what he did. He was in a combat zone. He's got imminent danger pay. They're all out there, and yet 
this type of attack attack happens. I agree with you. I think they had to overwhelm them with numbers, and hopefully yeah, I, that's something they're working on. It's just amazing uh, how low these people can go and how creative they are doing it. Uh, you know, they do stuff that you just don't even imagine you would do to another person, uh, you know, in a uh, a political uh, uh, rally here. It, it, right. just, uh, it just really... Uh, and, and this really hits home, uh, you know, with all the things in schools and stuff like that. And you just shake your head and go, what's next? Uh, you know, this one's this one's personal. Uh, uh, I just can't. Uh, there's just uh, no respect for for this gentleman. And uh, he deserves all of it. Well, you're right, Ralph. I'm glad you called my friend. I appreciate that very much. And I share your frustration and I share your passion with this situation. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. And it's a good idea. And I'm going to stay in touch with Jared Majewski over the course of the next six weeks until the election. And I'll, you know, he did say that they're going to have a rally for him down in a fundraiser down at Mar-a-Lago in, uh, uh, in Florida with President Trump, who, of course, has endorsed Jared Majewski. And I hope that happens soon enough so that the funds can be used to do exactly what you said. A huge TV blitz calling Marcy Captor a liar with military members stretching from one end of the screen to the other saying, this is a combat veteran. How dare you question what we do and where we were, were when we were doing it? Accusing, as TJ said, and as I said to JR, accusing someone of stolen valor is just about the worst thing you can accuse somebody of. Uh, this country, you know, sees its military veterans as heroes. And to take one of our heroes and accuse him of stealing heroism he didn't earn is just, uh, uh, that's a bridge too far. You better have some pretty doggone compelling evidence that somebody is not what they say they are before you accuse them of stolen valor. That's just wrong. Thank you, Ralph. Uh, let's go to Worcester. Brett, you're on AM 1420 The Answer. Hi, Brett, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Now, there's a lot of combat veterans out there that uh, never went in country. I'm a 22-year Navy vet. I've sat off the shore of uh, off the coast of Bosnia, was a combat veteran. Sat off the shore the first Gulf War and the second Gulf War. Combat veteran both times. I never set foot inside the country, yet I'm a combat veteran. And for somebody, it really just taps my, well, I won't say it. I got it. For somebody that never served, never stepped up to the plate to, uh, to call somebody for stolen valor. And there's a lot of stolen valor cases out there. But this ain't one of them. Well, you're exactly right. And you know what's as aggravating as anything, in my opinion, uh, my friend, and thanks for the call, Brett. It's not that captors doing this. I think that's expected from desperate Democrats. But the fact that the Republican uh, uh, campaign committee, the House Republican campaign committee, is not going to put those funds back in play here. It's as if they're going to let her tell this lie and defeat him. And that's something that I that I think is you know indefensible. Uh, we'll talk more after the news, which is now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and the Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. 
and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. A deal with two Tims. TV Tim Ryan pretends he's with you. I don't answer to any political party. But D.C. Tim Ryan votes with Biden Pelosi 100%. You've said that you don't like Nancy Pelosi, you love Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I I do love her. D.C. Tim's been in Washington 20 years, supporting amnesty and opposing the border wall that would slow down illegals and drugs flooding Ohio. I'm J.D. Vance, and I approve this message because TV Tim is fake. But D.C. Tim is bad for Ohio. That's a pretty good ad, I gotta tell you. That's a pretty good ad. J.D. Vance, uh, the latest uh, release, A Tale of Two Tims, TV Tim and DC Tim. And i got to tell you, every time I see a TV Tim ad come on, I just shake my head. It's just unbelievable that he thinks he can erase 20 years of leftism with uh, six months of, no, really, I swear, I'm America first. I voted with Trump. I voted with Trump on taxes. I'm just like you guys. Unbelievable what he thinks he can pull. Uh, how will he get away with that on the debate stage? There will be a debate stage. Welcome to hour number three of Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 11-11, 20th morning in the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. I found out about um, the uh, debate schedule uh, on the Ohio Press Network yesterday, late yesterday. Uh, they have agreed on two debates. And joining us, now, joining us now to preview those and talk more about it is the founder of the Ohio Press Network, Jack Windsor. Jack, good morning, my friend. How are you? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It's great to be here with you and uh, the 1420 listeners. Thanks for choosing me today. Yes, sir. It's a pretty good ad there, I think, too. I mean, not to say that there aren't. I'll be honest with you. If if I did not have a dog in the race, and I do, because mm-hmm. I want the Republicans to take back, I want conservatives to take back control of the Congress. I think this country is in a desperate, desperate situation. You don't have to agree with that. You're a journalist. I'm a commentator. Um if I didn't have a dog in this race, I'd say some of Tim Ryan's ads are actually effective, too, uh, including the one where he does try to paint himself, well, several of them in which he tries to paint himself as a moderate, if not an outright uh, right-leaning moderate. Um, but the one where he's throwing the footballs at the TVs and, and knocking them mm-hmm. down and then saying, culture war, I'm not that guy. Of course, he is a huge part of the culture war. Uh, he is woke. He supports woke agendas and so forth. But the ads are are, are somewhat effective, I think. Um so let's break this race down right now. Uh, a lot of people have been waiting for J.D. to respond in kind with a big TV blitz. And while it's not a blitz, it's there. He's out there. And I think he's scoring some points as well ahead of what is the now a confirmed debate schedule. So how do you handicap it, Jack? So, uh, look, I, I think Tim Ryan did a great job of taking a lot of money that he received from that uh, national network of liberals and you know pouring it into TV ads over the summer. To the point that a lot of uh, Republicans and conservatives are reaching out to our outlet and going, hey, do you have any insight on what um, J.D. Vance is doing? And, of course, I talked with J.D. Vance a couple of times, and he said what he was going to do, and now he's doing what he said he was going to do, which was, you know, he was going to wait until um, after the kids go back to school when this is top of mind for a lot of voters and potential voters, and that he was going to go to the airwaves and he was going to show everybody um, who Tim Ryan is compared to who Tim Ryan 
says that he is. Um, and I'm not going down in, in JD's favor or Tim's favor, but you know, JD's words were, of course, uh, Tim Ryan has to spend a lot of money. He is rebranding or recreating himself. Um, as an uh, NRSC press release uh, pointed out, Tim Ryan has voted uh, for at least $6.7 trillion in higher taxes uh, 113 times over his 20 years in Washington, D.C. So um, J.D. Vance uh, has really attacked that. And in fact, a funny sidebar story, uh, my daughter loves to watch YouTube. And uh, anytime that she tries to watch YouTube now, she gets a little commercial at the beginning of whatever she's watching. And last week she said, Dad, are we voting for taxing Tim Ryan? We're not doing that, are we? They <laughs> said, no, sweetheart. We're not going to... We're not, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to worry about that. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's, you know, I think JD Vance has, obviously, he has less money and he's being more focused. Um, and it'll be interesting. So they've agreed to two debates, as you alluded to. Um, they did some horse trading last week, but they're going to have one debate with Fox 8 News in Cleveland on October 10th and another one in Youngstown, which is, you know, Ryan's home turf on October 17th. I think that's only going to be locally broadcast on WFMJ. So, the back and forth on these issues, right, abortion, taxation, um, whether he is pro-China or anti-China, that being uh, Ryan, uh, it, it's going to be electric. I can't wait to watch. How did the horse trading result in one in Cleveland and one in Youngstown on Ryan's home turf and nothing down in uh, Cincinnati area or Dayton area or someplace closer to, uh, to J.D.'s home turf? Yeah, so I'm still digging in on that. Um, I've reached out to Tim Ryan's campaign. My understanding is that um, there was a slate of potential debate that you know the Vance team put out there, and then you know the Ryan team kind of countered. And according to uh, the statement that I received from Vance's team, uh, they made it very clear in the beginning that uh, there was a date on which they could not be in Cincinnati because they had several events set up in Cleveland. Um, and if I'm, you know, reading the tea leaves and, you know, in between the lines there, what it sounds like is that Tim Ryan put that date for Cincinnati out on a date that he knew J.D. Vance couldn't accept it. And so I went back to the Ryan camp and said, hey, are you, you know, renegotiating this date? It, it certainly would make sense to have one in Cincinnati. They have not responded. Uh, my understanding is they're still trying to negotiate behind the scenes. But I expect there will be uh, a third debate in Cincinnati uh, hosted by WLWT, but that has yet to be determined. I um, have not seen. We're talking to Jack Windsor, founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network, online at theohiopressnetwork.com. He is also our state house correspondent here for AM 1420, The Answer. So we uh, use and abuse him all the time. Jack, um, I have not seen much of Tim Ryan on debate stages. I have seen J.D. Vance, uh, of course, on the primary stages, along with a whole bunch of other people, including Josh Mandel and Mike Gibbons and Matt Dolan and so forth, he's he was a star. I said it in my analysis each after each debate. I said there's just one thing you can say: J.D. Vance is polished. He is polished. He is he is likable. He comes off as knowledgeable. He knows how to do the sixty second thing without getting caught in the middle of a story. That was one of Mike Gibbons' downfalls. Mike Gibbons is a very very smart man, but he's not a soundbite speaker. He's a storyteller. He needs more time. JD is very good on the stage. Um, do you have knowledge of Tim Ryan on the stage, and how do you expect these will go? And how much of an impact? I mean, I don't know. Um, 
I, I, I don't know how many voters make their decision based on the head-to-head on the debate stage. There's got to be a lot of other things included, one would think. But when you do see them contrasting one another, comparing and contrasting against one another on a stage, it can have, I don't know, maybe the decisive impact. If it's not the only thing, it may be the decisive reason that somebody chooses. But do you know anything about how uh, Tim and how he does on stage and how you think this will go? Well, so I've, I've seen Tim Ryan talk in person. Uh, on the floor before. Um, I've not uh, particularly been tuned in at times uh, when he's been involved in races in the past and and really um, paid super attention to what he's saying uh, during debate. Um, I I think the the challenge that he's going to have, and this is the one criticism, not even criticism, but I guess cautionary tale I would have for him and his team is uh, he has a lot to explain. Uh, you can look at a voting record. Um, in fact, you can look at, uh, I remember when Trump was giving his last State of the Union, and Tim Ryan walked out and, and called it all fake. And so w- when you try to re-engage and say, hey, you know, I'm pro-Trump, I'm pro-Trump policy, <laughs> you're going to have a lot to explain for if your opponent is sharp. And I'm going to go back to what you said. We had the, the pleasure of hosting four GOP U.S. Senate candidate forums last year. And it was fantastic to get to know all of those candidates on a personal level, as well as to get to see them in action on stage. J.D. Vance is sharp. He's smart. He's articulate. And he's quick. Uh, so I, I think that Tim Ryan's going to have his hands full. The interesting thing is of the two debates they've agreed to, only one is statewide. It's Fox 8 in uh, the next star stations that'll hit Cleveland, Columbus State, and Youngstown and Steubenville. The other one is really just going to, based on my understanding, going to play in Youngstown. So there's really only this one statewide so far uh, with the idea, you know, that they may have the Cincinnati one in their back pocket and that might get more, um, you know, uh, broadcast uh, to, to the entire state. But all of that, to say this, I think it depends on what uh, mainstream media outlets do with the sound bites and the answers to the questions. Look, entire presidential elections have been won and lost on how somebody looks. You know, you, uh, you can listen on the radio and go, wow, that guy's great. And then you watch, you know, JFK on TV and you go, holy smokes, that's the guy. So, you know, it's, it's a tale of two different uh, mediums, right? And so I think it, it really depends on how the media treat uh, what these guys are going to say. That's a very, very good point, because people oftentimes, even if they watch part of a debate, you know, beginning to end, only the political, you know, uh, 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 gluttons really, uh, you know, want to absorb all of those and and watch it. So some people might catch a few of the questions, watch it 15, 20 minutes, and then they're done. So you're right. What the media chooses to highlight for those who didn't see the whole thing or any of it uh, can indeed make the difference. Even if one person won the debate, it can be framed in an entirely different way based on what they clip. So great points. We're talking to Jack Windsor. Jack. Pivoting now, back to uh, one of our conversations from this past Friday, and we were talking about Brendan Shea. He's a member of the Ohio Board of Education and his resolution against the proposed changes from the federal government to Title IX, which, of course, would include uh, gender identity and gender expression and all kinds of other hogwash with women, uh, saying that uh, they deserve the same quote-unquote protections as women. It's not about protecting them. It's more about essentially uh, demonizing and uh, and uh, cheating women out of the uh, chance to uh, you know to be recognized as what they really are, rather than what somebody thinks they are. So, um, long story short, here is where are we? There is a vote that's going to happen coming up at some point on this resolution, mm-hmm. and what do you anticipate the outcome of that vote to be? If you have any idea uh, from conversations with board members, yeah. So the vote isn't up until October. 
Um, but, you know, I want to dismiss the idea that opponent testimony stopped the resolution in its tracks last meeting because that really isn't accurate. Um, you know, they have a reading of the resolution. They hear opponent and proponent testimony. And uh, the standard best practice is they'll vote on it the next session. So that's where they're at. Um, insiders tell me that of the 19 board members, they're pretty evenly split on the matter. Um, and by the way, you already hit, you know, some of the key points on Shay's resolution. It pushes back against those Title IX changes. And the far-left idea that schools are forced to call gender dysphoric students their preferred names and pronouns rather than their given names and biological pronouns. And what it would do, among other things, is it would call for the state superintendent, who's currently uh, Stephanie uh, Siddons, to write each of Ohio's school districts and institutions and tell them that the Ohio Department of Education deems the White House policy invalid and encourages districts to ignore it. Now, of the 19 members on that board, 11 are elected and 8 are appointed by Governor DeWine. It's not clear where DeWine appointees are on the matter, so I want to make that uh, statement. Uh, I, when he was, DeWine, when he was Attorney General during the Obama administration, he wrote a letter to Obama's Department of Education director indicating that the trans policies back then that Obama was attempting to push through with executive order and administrative rules, uh, those weren't going to fly in Ohio. But when I called DeWine's press secretary, Dan Tierney, yesterday and asked if DeWine would weigh in on the matter now uh, as a way to guide the Board of Education, he said that he didn't anticipate any comment on the matter. So I don't know that there is going to be uh, influence from you know the highest elected Republican in the state. Now, what's interesting is that DeWine has weighed in on abortion. He's weighed in on booster shots. And with a 16-point lead over his opponent, Nan Whaley, it's interesting to me that he's not being more vocal about this issue. Can we officially uh, start on the air and for you uh, on the Ohio Press Network, start referring to him as Mike DeWeeny? Can we do that? Because that is about as weeny of a, of a response as I've ever heard. We do not anticipate, Dan Tierney told you, a comment from the governor on this extraordinarily important issue, which might impact the vote of the government-appointed board members. He's not going to stand up and say, no, I really don't think boys should be showering in girls' showers with girls, that boys should be on girls' teams, that biological boys and girls should should have no separation whatsoever, that boys and girls and uh, teachers have to use made-up names and made-up words to refer to people who are very obviously one thing or another. I mean, is this a red state or am I imagining this supermajority in the General Assembly, this this you know eight and a half point wins in back to back elections for the Republican nominee for president, uh, you know Republican governor, Republicans and all of the uh, other elected statewide positions. Is this not a red state? What in the living hell is Mike DeWine afraid of in a red state saying that, yeah, we think boys should be boys and girls should be girls and they shouldn't be showering together and playing on the same sports teams, Jack? I wish I could give you an answer uh, other than politics, right? It's preservation of agenda. It's preservation of position. And it's preservation of relationships that might be meaningful at some point down the road for yourself 
or others connected to you. That's all, that's all I can surmise. What should be I more mean, important, though, than the relationship with, between the governor and the citizens of his state, the constituents? Again, the, the overwhelming majority of which vote red, which would agree with him. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even think there's a threat here. I just get, This is just the ultimate in weenie-dom. I'm going to call him my... I've called him Mike No Spine. I've called him a lot of different things over the course of the last you know three years or so, particularly because of COVID. Uh, but now, that's just a weenie way out. Oh, he doesn't anticipate on uh, making a statement about this you need to make a statement about this because you need to do what's right for ohio's kids not to uh, for for this this trans agenda to be able to be pushed and forced upon them well right and so i will weigh in here with a little bit of opinion um it's easier to keep the toothpaste out of the tube than it is to put it back in and so what happens if we get down the road and let's say that you have a kid who's very convicted very firm uh very confident in where she stands and let's say a classmate comes to that kid and says hey um, my name is, and then, you know, opposite of whatever the, the birth name is, and I am opposite of whatever the, you know, the, the birth biology is. And that kid says, mm, no, you're not. I'm not going to call you that. And then all of a sudden, the Title IX officer associated with that school calls the kid into the office. Now, let's talk about the trauma the kid who understands biology is going to feel by being called out on the carpet for calling a boy a boy and a girl a girl. And then secondarily, what happens if that child, is uh, targeted for sex discrimination claims or that child's parents. Now are we going to try to put the the toothpaste back in the tube when this could have been prevented at the onset? Um, To me, there are certain things that aren't negotiable. This is one of those. I concur. That's a very, very well articulated opinion. And I know you were putting on your your op-ed hat there, not as a journalist, but as an opinion uh, commentator. I would hope, by the way, that in such a scenario, a child who's called into the principal's office for calling a boy a boy and a girl a girl and calling by the correct pronouns rather than incorrect pronouns, I hope that that child would look right up at that principal and say, Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. That's just how I picture that conversation going the best possible way, right? I mean, (laughs) touche. Uh, let's just let's just call, for the win. Call it the way that it is. <laughs> Jack Windsor, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, great conversation. Great work on the Ohio Press Network. Keep us posted. Thanks, Bob. Talk to you soon. You got it. Eleven twenty-seven. Always right radio. Um, if you didn't hear the announcement earlier, I've got good news about the Battleground Talkers Tour, October twenty-second, IX Center. I got great news about it. Want to know what the great news is? We have a sponsor for this entire event, and your tickets are paid for. Your tickets are covered. You don't have to pay for them. How about that? Get your tickets now. They're on a first-come, first-served basis at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. First-come, first-served. Bring the family. Bring younger voters, especially if they're the newer voters that have never been a part of this before, because we have to rally together. It's so important that we get everybody together. Uh, if you have already paid for your tickets, by the way, you will get refunded. Check your email for information on that. We're sending you information on your refunds because the we're not going to charge twice. We're not going to charge uh, one price and then uh, make the people buy them after they've already been paid. They're paid for. You just have to claim them right now. Register at whkradio.com. First come, first serve. Don't get locked out. We'll be right back. Don't have time to call in? Try the sound off feature on alwaysright.us and make your voice heard.
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. It is uh, 1138. I, uh, I regret to inform you that this man is the President of the United States. The, the 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 mindset that you should be in knowing that this guy is in charge of everything um is is hard to describe first of all this is the same guy who said this yesterday as the uh hurricane ian storms toward shore and is going to make landfall and in fact it's probably about happening now he was telling Floridians, don't worry about packing up all your belongings and, and evacuating. Don't worry about boarding up your house in the hopes of having something left when you when you come back. Don't worry about all of those life-saving preparations from this massive hurricane that's coming. You want to deal with hurricanes, you know how to do it, right? You go get a shot. You go get yourself a hurricane vaccination. That's what you do. If you're in a state where a hurricane... Why can't I hear that clearly? I know why I can't hear that clearly. There's why. Let's fix that up again. Once again, President Biden, how should we best prepare for hurricanes? If you're in a state where hurricanes often strike, like Florida or the Gulf Coast or into Texas, a vital part of preparing for hurricane season is to get vaccinated now. Everything is more complicated if you're not vaccinated in a hurricane or natural disaster. That's just to set this one up. Um, I, there's just no other way to say this. I mean, the man doesn't know what's going on around him. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't. Um, he, he's 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 just mentally not capable. I think of of doing the job that a president has to do. Latest example was from just within the last hour. Biden is at the White House. He's making remarks at the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. As he is making his comments, he wanted to thank some of the individuals involved with this particular organization slash event. And um, he started out okay. He started out talking about the living. But then he asked, where is... The dead. And so many of you know so much about this as well, and you're committed. And I want to thank all of you here, for in- including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here to help make this. Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I thought Jackie was going to be here. Jackie is Jackie Walorski. Jackie Walorski is a congresswoman from Indiana who died in a car wreck in August. It was news. A member of Congress died in a car wreck in August. Everyone knew about it. As a matter of fact, you ready for this? The White House had a video tribute to Jackie Walorski queued up and ready to be played. They were going to play a video commemorating her at this event. Joe Biden turns and says, Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? 
Jackie's in her grave, Mr. President. How'd you like to have to be the staffer that comes up and whispers in this nut's ear what's really going on? Sir, Jackie, Jackie died. Jackie died well over a month ago. It was well known. We spoke on it. Jackie, where are you? Are you here? Uh, Jackie, where's Jackie? We got to get Jackie. Anybody know where Jackie is? Jackie, Jackie, where are you? Representative, Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, was going to be here to help make this a reality. Uh, the last thing that this guy needs to be talking about is reality. Jackie Wolorski died along with two others in a in a crash, in a car crash in August, and Joe Biden wants to thank her for her presence. This this I think actually trumps his. Uh, his request for a wheelchair-bound man to rise, to stand up, Chuck, stand up, let everybody see you there, Chuck. Oh yeah, you're 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 paralyzed. You can't stand up. Um, okay, we'll stand up for you. This is is the time goes by, the gas become bigger, they become larger, and they become more concerning and more and more disconcerting. How is this man making decisions? On, on how to run this country. This man doesn't know where he is, what's going on, what's going on around him. Jackie Walorski was, according to um, the White House, Biden wrote in a statement that the accident left him and the First Lady Jill Biden, quote, shocked and saddened. He was shocked and saddened about this terrible death of Jackie Walorski a month ago. Now he thinks she's alive. This is incredible. So get yourself vaccinated against hurricanes and start looking around for the ghosts of, um, of, of apparently uh, uh, deceased members of Congress. Joe Biden thinks that they're there. I, I apologize for making light of this. I'm just terrified at who's leading our country. Thanks, everyone, for being a part of the show today. Don't forget, get your tickets now, whkradio.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.